Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Esta Park with Qualified Plan Administrators. Qualified Plan Administrators is a third-party administrator for qualified plans, such as 401ks and cash balance plans. Today, we're gonna talk about what those are in further detail and why you might consider implementing one into your practice. Esta, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start real basic here. Explain to our listeners what a qualified plan is. Great question. So for everyone, um, a qualified plan is defined under ERISA as a plan that um, is intended to be for the benefit of the employees. Um, it offers the company a tax deductible contribution source. It offers the employees and the employer both the ability to save money either via you know, pre-tax salary reductions, Roth contributions, or employer contributions going to the employees. So it's a it's a it's a it's a vessel and vehicle that employers can use, get tax deductions and tax credits in some cases, and help their um, employees create a retirement. So a four hundred one k is typically the most common qualified plan. Now, IRAs don't fall into ERISA rules always, but some of them do, correct? If it's an employer plan, like a simple IRA, does that fall under ERISA or not? No, but there are limits for a simple that are much less than what one can put into a 401k plan. For example, a simple plan, an employee may only defer 15500 and a $3,500 catch-up if they're 50, and in a 401k, an employee can defer $22,500 with a $7,500 catch-up as of 2023, and these numbers index up every year. So when we talk about IRAs, individual retirement accounts, you have a traditional IRA, you have a Roth IRA, mm-hmm. you can do a simple IRA, which is an employer plan, and you can do a SEP IRA, which is usually a self-employed plan. Anytime you hear IRA, it's not a part of ERISA. A third-party administrator is needed to ensure compliance of ERISA if you have a qualified plan, i.e. a 401k or a cash balance plan, which we'll get to later. So let's talk about the different types of 401k. This is a podcast for dentists. Most dentists, when they have a 401k, do the profit-sharing plan. Talk about the difference between a quote, regular 401k and a profit-sharing 401k. Okay. And if I may, let me step back one moment. There's an analogy I like to do to really set the table on what a TPA is. Yeah, go for Um, it. So picture for all of you doctors out there that 
you're going to be what's called the plan sponsor. All right. And so the plan sponsor, picture yourself as the center of a Krispy Kreme donut. And to create the best possible retirement plan, you're going to eat that donut in three bites. All right. The first bite is going to be your financial advisor, obviously, in this case, Ross Brandon. The second bite is going to be where the money's going to live. That could be at a platform, record keepers such as John Hancock. It could be a brokerage account, but where the money's going to live, where the participants view their money, uh, make their investment changes, et cetera. Then the third bite is the TPA, third-party administrator, and that is what my firm does. And a TPA, think of us as your architect, your compliance officer, and your tax partner. So my job at the outset is to architect, you know, plan design is key to make it do what you want it to do. Then we're going to keep you in compliance with the IRS and the Department of Labor. And then we're going to file your taxes for you rather than your CPA doing it on the qualified plan. So that's really, you know, what the, you know, the TPA is, because most of you, probably almost all of you have never heard of that before. So now, Ross, go back to the question you wanted me to focus on. Sorry about that. That's fine. So let's talk about the difference between a, quote, regular 401k Uh and a profit-sharing 401k. Okay. So I will say, because I'm a geek in all technicality, all 401k plans are a profit-sharing plan that allow for employee deferrals. So when I design a plan, I always like to have the maximum flexibility and the minimal obligation. So if an employer said, I do not want to mess with my employees deferring their own money, I don't want to do payroll, et cetera, then that would be a profit-sharing contribution only, which would come from the employer and that is always discretionary. If we couple that with employee deferrals, then you still have the option to make or not make the employer contribution into profit sharing plan, but also you can allow the employees to defer their own payroll deductions and possibly do a match from the employer. Every bit of money that an employer puts into a 401k plan is a tax deduction for the employer. There are also new tax credits, which I will not get into dollar amounts and et cetera, but there are tax credits uh, now for setting up new qualified plans. So tax deduction and tax credit. And that's as a result of what we call Secure Act 2.0 that was passed at the end of December. It was very heavy on retirement plan updates. And many of them are incentivizing business owners to start retirement plans with tax credits. So, you know, sometimes people like, I don't want to match salaries. I don't want to do this and that. But many times it's offset by the tax credits you would get. And as a quick side uh, aside, a tax credit is more powerful than a tax deduction. A tax deduction lowers your taxable income. A tax credit lowers your tax due. So if you make $100,000, a $5,000 tax deduction means you make $95,000 in the IRS. And if you make $100,000 and you owe $20,000 in taxes, a tax credit would take that $5,000 off your tax bill where you only owe $15,000. So a tax credit is more powerful than a tax deduction. So that's worth considering. So it can get a little confusing and technical on the 401k, but for all intensive purposes, 
and what I've seen, nine out of 10 uh, dentists, when they have a practice, a 401k plan, they are using, and I'm not going to use the the right technical term, they are using the profit sharing plan where they can put up to 60 some odd thousand dollars into the plan. Now, obviously, and correct me where I'm wrong, they can put 22.5 of salary deferrals and then everything up into, and I forgot the, the limit's been adjusted for inflation for 2023. Let's just call it 65,000 for easy math. Mm-hmm. 65,000 minus 22.5 is something they can contribute. Now, the 22.5 of salary deferrals can be Roth tax-free or can be tax-deferred. And there's reasons you could argue for both, in my opinion. And the employees probably should just do the Roth, but the the doctor, it's debatable either way. But the profit sharing is always tax-deferred or a match is always tax-deferred. Am I right? Yes. The Roth component only applies to the employee decision on their personal deferrals, which they can split. They could say, hey, I want to put, you know, let's split it in half. I want to put 50% in pre-tax. I want to put 50% in Roth. The, uh, for the moment, 2.0 is coming with employer contributions also being able to be made into the Roth bucket, but we're not there yet. That's evolving. And that that's going to be a little... On the TPA side and the uh, not crazy the, about it. Not yeah, crazy it's going to be it. it's going to be an accounting nightmare for you and for the investment companies. And here's mm-hmm. the thing that people may not know is there are laws. And let me just throw a muddy. Let me just throw a, like a little uh, a grenade on the table here. There are laws that allow you to do an in-plan Roth conversion. The yes. challenge is that the investment sponsor, if I don't know if that's the right terminology or not, like a John Hancock or a Vanguard or whatever, they don't have the software. Many of them don't have the software to implement that because there's not enough demand for it. So it's really an interesting dynamic uh, in, in that regard. So so what is the, uh, the profit share, what I'm calling profit sharing, which may be the wrong terminology of that, roughly $40,000 of additional monies can go in there. How does that work? And and explain that setup, please. So each employee, let's say you had a a 401k with a profit sharing component. And let's say we also had Roth also. So each employee is going to have, they're going to be several different accounts. There'll be the pre-tax deferral. There'll be the Roth deferral. And then there'll be a profit sharing, what I'm, I'm going to call it a bucket. The profit sharing contribution comes solely from the company. The match comes solely from the company. The deferral comes solely from the employee. Now, the profit sharing, again, you know, and the match really, depending on how you set up, are discretionary. But you, know, you kind of work through that year to year as you look at your profitability and see how much you want to put in. But the employee, the old way of doing it was having the trustee direct all the investments. The better way to do it and the modern way to do it is that the employee is going to direct how all of their money is invested up until the time that they terminate or retire um, either way, and which removes a layer of fiduciary liability from the plan sponsor 
you know, so that the employee doesn't say, oh, hey, you, you know, you manage my money too conservatively or you weren't aggressive enough because you have a different, you know, you have different age ranges, you have different salaries. So really now we like to see for all employers to let the employees direct their profit sharing. And um, that really works best for everybody. And given that, you know, Ross would be doing education with people, they're not just going to be thrown to the wolves. They're going to get the information that they need to make the best decision. Okay, great. So let's suppose that you're a high income earner Mm -hmm. and you're putting 60 some odd thousand dollars away Mm -hmm. and you know, and it, and you're doing all tax deferred because you, you need the tax deductions, you want the tax deductions, but it's just really not doing enough for you. What's the next option, the next level of re- retirement plan that has a tax deferral component? So the next step up from a defined contribution plan, which is, you know, your 401k, your profit sharing, where you can get literally, Ross was right there, you know, $66,000 put away. The next step up from that is what we call a cash balance plan. So the cash balance plan is, I don't know if, you know, maybe some of you are familiar with, um, there's an old school type of plan called a defined benefit plan, which our grandfathers had after they worked at the car factory for 30 years and they were guaranteed an income for life. A cash balance plan is a hybrid between a 401k and a defined benefit plan where the employer and each employee can realize much more significantly um, higher contributions that can be portable rather than only being an income at retirement. So there's an actuarial calculation. So there's an actuary involved. It's more complex, but the numbers go, uh, you know, for, for um, 2023, in a defined benefit plan slash cash balance plan, instead of the 66,000, the limit is 300, excuse me, hold on, $265,000. So think about that for a second. Wow. Well, let me interrupt you here. So think about this. So you have a $265,000 tax deferral in addition to the $66,000 tax deferral. So that's over $320,000 of tax deferral. Now, something that the people need to be aware of, most dentists who own their own practice um, are wisely paying themselves at the lowest reasonable W-2 salary to um, mitigate payroll taxes, and the rest of their income comes through distributions. However, to maximize a cash balance plan, you will need to raise your W-2 income to about $300,000. Well, someone's going to say, I don't want to pay the payroll tax. And that's a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. But the payroll tax is less than the federal and state income tax. So it's a tax arbitrage that you will win by increasing your W-2 salary in this scenario. Something else that has to be considered, if you are 28 years old, and your entire staff is 60 years old, the numbers mm. will likely not make sense because you have to do a census. So yes. the census will be, be based on, you know, the the income of the employee, the age of the employee, the gender of the employee. So if you're 60, if you're a 60 year old man, you have nothing but 25 year old females working for you. 
That works. That's a phenomenal census. Right. But if you're a 28-year-old man and you have nothing but 60-year-old females working for you, that's a terrible census. Right. What's going to happen is you will have to make employee contributions in the cash balance plan. I've seen them where it's an absolute home run. I've seen them where it's a coin flip. Does it make sense or not? And I've seen them where it's absolutely makes no sense at all. It's not a good solution. So to find out if that makes sense, a census must be done first. And a third-party administrator like ESTA has to run the analysis to make sure it makes sense. Exactly. And we, we have a, um, a really nice, pretty tight form called a data collection form that we like to get from all of our clients that speaks to all of these kinds of, of um, you know, possibilities along with a full census at the beginning. And then we can offer you the best advice and we can run all kinds of different scenarios for you. And I mean, I can kind of eyeball something and go, mm, probably not, probably so. But sometimes, you know, it's quite nebulous because, you know, there are nuances. And so once we, you know, get the hard data in the actuary is very happy to, you know, we don't charge for those. We run illustrations and, you know, you may want to start with, hey, my budget is a hundred grand. And we back into it that way. Or you may want to say, knock it out of the ballpark do the most you can, then we would approach it that way. So, you know, we're very happy to do that. We do those all the time. And I will say that the, you know, in a cash balance plan, all of the contributions come from the employer. So the doctors are going to realize for their corporate structure, a major tax deduction, but the employees themselves are not going to get tax deferred they're get, you're going to get tax deferred growth but the you know the the big the big tax advantage goes to goes to the owner and you know we we try obviously to slant it you know as best we can towards you know the owners but as ross mentioned sometimes age and compensation override what we would like to see happen because there are rules again remember I'm your compliance officer <laughs> so there are rules we have to follow so what else is there uh, out there for um, people to know about uh, qualified plans? I guess, as I say that, I, you know, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of dentists have simple IRAs. And the reason, from my experience, they have simple IRAs is because 401ks used to be really expensive. Now, the costs on 401ks have dropped dramatically mm-hmm. in, in the last five to seven years. And I personally don't see it a reason to own a simple IRA. And anytime the government names something simple, uh, it's never simple. So I'm not a fan of simple IRAs, but it, that's an admitted bias that I have. But if someone has a simple and they want to switch to a 401k, it's a little tricky. Yes. Hence the lack of simplicity in a simple IRA. Talk about yep. that for a minute. Okay. So for whatever reason, don't ask me how they came up with this one, Congress. <laughs> um, you are never allowed to, as the plan sponsor, sponsor a simple plan and a 401k plan in the same calendar year. Don't know why, doesn't make sense, but that's the way it is. So, you know, right now, you know, we're into, you know, May. If you had a simple plan that you had not put one penny into up until this point in the year, we could still pivot and, provide you with a 401k, but the more traditional way of doing it is in the fall, 
you start thinking, hey, I, you know, I want to switch from the simple to the 401k. So we would provide you with a notice that you would need to give to your participant saying, hey, you know, we're not, we're no longer going to sponsor the simple. We're now going to have a 401k. And I like to always put that in the same communication so that they don't feel like you're just taking something, but that you're switching to something better. Right. And then we take your, you know, I meet with you, you know, plan design and and, um, design your 401k to make it do what you want it to do. Now, this is tricky too. the employees. Once you cancel that simple plan, they have the ability just to take that money. They become, you know, they're invested in it. They can have it. But it's, so, it's you know, if they cash it out, there's obviously taxes and penalties. If right, but they could out. roll it over to an IRA that's unrelated to the 401k. So we want to kind of do, do all of that, you know, at the same time and, and have Ross do his, you know, his fabulous job of communicating and saying, hey, you know, really to preserve this money in the best way and to reduce the fees that you might be paying out there on your own, in an IRA or tax penalties by cashing out, the ideal thing is for you to roll this over into your 401k, into your new 401k. Therefore, there are no tax penalties. And, and by the way, care. that will drive down the cost for the doctor. Exactly. Just, just so the more assets, the better. The higher the balance, the lower the cost for the doctor. And so that that's something to consider. But let's suppose it's... Um, April 1st, 2024. And the CPA tells the doctor, you owe X amount of dollars in taxes. And the doctor's like, holy cow, what's there? What can we do? And he's like, oh, there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry, you got to cut the check. Well, that's not actually accurate. You have up until September 15th, assuming that you extend your taxes to implement a retirement plan that could be 401k or cash balance plan for the previous year. So talk about that, Esther. That's correct. So we used to be tied, you know, completely to calendar year. So sometimes what they what they do up there in DC makes sense. The flexibility now allows us to, as long as you have done an extension for yourself, a timely extension, then we may create a qualified plan for the previous year that does not include deferrals. You know, we can't obviously include W-2 deferrals because that already had to have happened. But any kind of employer contribution, we can do a profit sharing, we can do a um, cash balance plan or a combination, you know, for the first year, funding it by 915. And then the next year, we can add in employer employee deferrals. So you are not restricted to only acting within, you know, the year that you earn the money on all employer contributions. Yeah. So that's helpful. I think a lot of people, it's probably worth considering um, all these things. Certain, yeah. You get that big tax bill. I mean, a profit sharing is the simplest thing, you know, to, you know, to pop that in there. I mean, um, I know but, people who have a simple IRA who do not want to upgrade to 401k and that's fine. Yeah, I know people have a 401k and they don't want to upgrade to a cash balance plan. But in full disclosure, you're going to have to have some really good revenue and a really high income for the cash balance plan to maximize that. You do. And also, there is something that I neglected to say earlier. So a defined contribution plan, which is 401k profit sharing, 
only defines how much is going in, but doesn't define how much it's going to turn into. A cash balance slash defined benefit plan defines a certain benefit that needs to be achieved by the hypothetical retirement age of an employee. And the IRS frowns upon an employer creating a cash balance plan because they had a huge year just for one year and then stopping it. So you need to think of a cash balance plan as a three to five year commitment. Whereas, I've heard more. I've heard five years more often than not. I mean, well, defined benefit plan has to be five years. A cash right. balance plan you can get away with for three years. The other thing you can do is you can freeze it within that time frame so that no one accumulates any more benefit. But every year, the actuary from my firm will give a three-tiered um, contribution analysis. It will tell you the minimum, it will tell you the recommended, and it will tell you the maximum. And the plan sponsor is free to choose any of those. And there's also a, you know, a target return that's very modest. And as long as you kind of stay in the guardrails of, you know, keeping it what they're recommending for you to do, you're fine. But you do need to, I mean, I prefer people to think of it as a five-year commitment. That's safer. But three years is the definite minimum. So as we wind down here, typically what happens is you have a financial advisor of some kind and they're in the 401k retirement retirement plan business. You tell them, hey, I want a 401k, or they approach you, and you're like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. They then contact a TPA third-party administrator like ESTA to say, hey, I have this client, they need your help. And so there, there's that middleman. If someone doesn't have a financial advisor, can they call you directly and then you connect them with a contact that you have? Or is that possible? How does it work? Well, I will say that I do have some clients who want to direct their own money and they do not want a financial advisor. But what happens in that scenario is that I kind of become both to them. Right. And it's not really a great scenario because they need someone who's sitting on the other side of the table advocating and spending time on the investment piece, you know, I have sometimes I have referred clients to a financial advisor if they did not have one. And that's really the best case scenario. Right. Um, we do not like for, for clients to self-direct their assets. It does not make for, remember, it doesn't work with my donut. <laughs> right. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. So the reality is they need to have a financial advisor. They could reach yes. out to qualified plan administrators and they could likely refer them to somebody. You guys work all over the country in all 50 states. Correct. So um, that's good to know. I, this has been very helpful because a lot of people, well, in my experience, quasi understand this, but don't really understand it enough. And this could be a real benefit for people. It's obviously not for everybody. And depending on your situation, you might be full-blown cash balance, or you might just be simple IRA. And either way is fine. It's just, it all depends on your facts and circumstances. Right. And it's always great to explore. Like, I'm not going to charge anybody to call me up. And I mean, I'll run scenarios. I'll get quotes. I'll help with the, you know, everything. I mean, we don't, you know, charge for that time. So why not explore the information and understand what the options are to see if they work for you? Yeah, that's great. Well, Esther, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it so much.
You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>